0: Next, we'll take a look into some of the effects that the coronavirus pandemic is having on the economy. The summer of 2020 is going to be full of booming home sales and unfortunately, a lot of evictions. The lowest mortgage rates in history right now are allowing people to take advantage and buy bigger homes, refinance. If you own a home right now, you're in pretty good shape. A few other reasons why home sales are booming Millennials are hitting their 30s and they want to start settling down, and city dwellers want more bang for their buck, more space at a lower cost. But on the flip side, renters are facing job losses and evictions. For more on why the housing market is so insane right now and what else is driving all these sales during the pandemic, we'll speak to Heather Long, economics correspondent at The Wall Street Journal
1: it's not just urbanites fleeing New York City and Los Angeles and San Francisco for other parts of the country. It's this mix where pretty much anyone who has savings right now in the bank is taking a look at real estate. I guess a lot of people are sitting at home bored and they're checking out Zillow and Redfin and all those sites and they're fantasizing about what their dream home is, maybe a bigger backyard, a few more bedrooms or a study where they can work from home. And people are out and they're looking and they're buying and they're realizing they can afford a bigger home right now because interest rates, mortgage rates, actually fell below 3% for the first time ever this month. So this is making it way cheaper. You can afford more and bigger homes. But the flip side of that is basically while we're having bargain hunting by a lot of affluent people who kept their jobs on the flip side, A lot of renters are the ones who are, you know, obviously lower income. And those people have been hit the hardest during this pandemic by a lot of job losses in the restaurants and the retail sectors. And those folks have quite the opposite experience right now. Rents are not going down yet. Rent payments have not been cut. And at the same time, these people are getting phone calls like, why can't you pay your rent? Why can't you pay your rent? I'm going to take you to eviction court.
0: The demand for homes are really strong right now. So the prices are up. And as you mentioned, there's a few things that are driving this surge right now. The cheapest mortgage rates that we've seen in a long time. Millennials are hitting their 30s and want to start getting into their first time home buying. And then people that want more space, bigger properties, obviously at a less expensive price too.
1: It's those three things going on and they're forming this perfect market for anyone trying to sell a home right now. Obviously, low interest rates. Anytime we see cheap mortgage rates, we tend to see more home buying. And given that we're at record lows in mortgage rates, of course, home buying is up. But the other two factors that make this somewhat unique, what we're seeing right now, is millennials, The biggest surge in age group right now is basically people who are 30 and 31. The median, the typical age for buying your first home is 33 or 34. So basically what's happening is suddenly a lot of Americans, younger Americans, they're turning 30 and they're having that moment of, hey, I'm ready to settle down. And of course, on top of all that, You have baby boomers who are retiring and maybe they had a big house when they are bigger house when they were raising all their kids. Now their kids are, are out of the house. They're looking to downsize. And so. You put all that on top of the pandemic effect where so many people are working from home and wanting a bigger or a nicer home or a different type of home. And you know, I have an example in my story from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, you know, not normally one of the places that people are jumping to buy a home there. And I knew something was off. I grew up in that area when I was talking <laughs> to realtors and they were telling me um, a $200,000 home was getting 26 bids in a matter of days, and people were willing to pay $50,000 above asking price. I mean, again, you expect to see a little bit of a hot market right now, but I'm hearing those kind of stories. People tell me it's the same thing in the Poconos in Pennsylvania or in upstate New York. I called some realtors in the Los Angeles area. They say, you know, an hour outside of Los Angeles, you see some of the same things. People want to be further from the city. They see something that looks more affordable, and they are pouncing.
0: Refinancing is also hot right now. It's up more than 120% from a year ago. You're in good shape if you're a homeowner. But on the flip side, as you mentioned earlier, renters are seeing a lot of tough times. A lot of the lifelines that they had going through the pandemic are starting to run out. There was kind of a ban on evicting people. I think that ran out. Obviously, we're going through this thing right now to see whether Enhanced unemployment benefits are going to be extended, but that could be something that a lot of people lose. So for renters, it's a very tough situation.
1: It's incredibly tough. In my story, I profile a woman who's in Florida who used to be a hotel housekeeper at a Hampton Inn. and you know her story's just been on my mind. ever since I first spoke to her in June, she was worried about paying her June rent. She was able to get some money from churches in Florida, basically gave her money. She is $700 for her apartment that she shares with her daughter and grandchild. And um, now they don't have July rent. She calls every day the hotel to see if they'll take her back. They have it. They don't have enough people. Obviously, Florida's had a surge in the virus cases. They're not having the tourists they used to have. And she's tried to apply to Taco Bell. She told me she's applied in Walmart to numerous different stores. And the problem is it's the hiring is not back. The jobs are not there and so the reality is what really shocked me the census the u.s census has been doing a weekly survey and their latest weekly survey in mid-july shows that over 12 million americans were unable to pay june rent and about 10 million don't think they'll be able to pay august rent and that's already and yeah. so this is a real crisis
0: yeah other places are predicting that there could be 12 million eviction filings By October, 60% of renter households have had at least one person in the home suffer a job loss or pay cuts, and that's compared to 45% for homeowner households. So it's going to create this weird imbalance in the housing market, and we're going to have to wait to see how the summer plays out for all of it. Heather Long, economics correspondent at The Washington Post, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Next. We're moving at record speed to develop and improve a vaccine for the coronavirus. We're in phase three trials right now with many vaccine candidates, and a lot of people think that that's the goal line, that's the end point. Once we approve a vaccine, everything will be over. Actually, that's where the hard part starts. The hard part is distributing the vaccine to millions of Americans. The coordination, planning, and communication needed to pull this off will be so complex, and it has many worried considering the poor response to the pandemic so far by the administration. For more on why distributing the COVID-19 vaccine will be so hard, we'll speak to Lena Sun, health reporter at The Washington Post.
2: As you mentioned, it is going to require a lot of coordination and part of the confusion comes from the lack of information that has come out from the administration. President Trump and officials have repeatedly said that the military is going to be involved in the distribution, but they haven't given the specifics of how that's gonna work. And the existing immunization infrastructure in this country is a network that pushes out millions of doses of routine childhood vaccinations every year. And it was used during the 2009 H1N1 swine flu pandemic. CDC runs that network with the states and they basically scaled it up to push out vaccine, influenza vaccine in that pandemic. This time around, It's not exactly clear whether they're going to rely solely on the CDC system, whether they're going to create a new system or whether it's going to be some kind of hybrid. At a briefing that was given for reporters last week, the Health and Human Services Department, which is the lead agency for the pandemic response, told us that it was going to be a hybrid and that DOD was going to do everything related to the logistics getting the vaccine to the right places at the right times in the right conditions. Remember, we're talking about multiple vaccine candidates. Some of the vaccines may need to be stored at temperatures, you know, minus 80 degrees. You might need special freezers or refrigerators. And the different vaccines may require different dosing. You might might need two doses 14 days apart or two doses 28 days apart. And you need to make sure that whoever is getting the vaccine is getting the right dose from the right manufacturer. And if they have to come back for a second dose, that they're getting the right one. So it's very complicated logistically. And you need to know how it's going to be distributed to get pushed out. There was a meeting Last week, where CDC told the groups involved in immunization that the model is going to be one based very similar on what was used in 2009. And in that case, there was a central distributor, states would have to prioritize and approve the request for vaccine, and then the central distributor would push out the vaccine. But it's not been very clear at all. And the people most closely involved in this effort have been trying to glean information in bits and pieces from telephone calls and webinars and really they say you just need to put it out and be transparent so everybody knows how this is going to work.
0: We have to get this right the first time and the timing is so crucial as you mentioned some of these vaccines might need to be refrigerated a specific way there's could be a worry of them expiring if they're sitting too long or just don't make it to their destination in time the logistics of this is pretty mind-boggling. And then there comes about people's distrust of vaccines already as related to this. You know, seven in 10 Americans say they would get a vaccine to protect against COVID-19. But there's one in seven Americans say they wouldn't because they distrust vaccines in general. You also have to factor in communities of color that aren't always trusting of uh, government entities and how they roll things out. And they're the ones that are most at risk. So there's just a lot of questions. And you're mentioning how groups are starting to plan ahead, the National Association of Governors said, you need to start planning now for how this is all going to be rolled out. Nobody wants to get caught flat-footed on this.
2: The problem is you don't know when you're going to have those first limited doses. You know, it might be tens of millions of doses, even though pharmaceutical companies have been offering these very rosy predictions of how much they're going to be able to turn out. And You need to plan now, but if you don't have the specifics, as some of the state officials were telling me, then you sort of have to double plan, right? If the state is going to be involved in distribution and play a bigger role, do they need to go lease warehouse space? Do they need to go rent freezers and refrigerators? Or if they're going to rely on the traditional way of doing things, okay. But if you don't know, you sort of have to plan for both scenarios. And guess what? We are still in the middle of a really serious pandemic surging everywhere. And it's the same people who have to deal with the outbreak and deal with the coronavirus pandemic and also all the other public health things. There's not like a whole separate team waiting around just to do this.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, as you said, I think I think you said it right. we got to put the plan out there. And if it needs to be modified as we go, that's great. But at least... People, states, whatever entity is working on the distribution of it, have this guideline that they can work on to start implementing. It's going to be the hugest undertaking that we've gone through with these vaccination programs. And I mean, it's like I said, we just got to get it right the first time if we can. Lena Sun, health reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Finally, for this week it doesn't seem like there will be a COVID baby boom that some suspected there might be. Unfortunately, Americans just aren't making babies, and that could be bad for the long-term economy. Some estimates say that there could be 300 to 500,000 fewer babies born next year. This is going to lead to fewer consumers, fewer workers, and fewer taxpayers. For more on the American baby bust, we'll speak to Peter Coy, economics editor at Bloomberg Businessweek.
3: It turns out that... People who are going through a pandemic and a deep recession just aren't in the mood for having a lot of babies. just doesn't seem like the right thing to be doing. And you can kind of understand. I mean, you may be worried about whether you could have a paycheck. You may be worried about being in hospitals at a time when there are going to be patients with COVID there. So, yeah, I mean, it's completely logical when you think about it that the birth rate would fall. That number from Brookings, 300 to 500,000 fewer, is, is roughly a 10% decline from the normal number of births that would have been expected for next year. And, you know, one of the things my article gets into is some of the other evidence for that, but also, like, what happens next? For example, if it were just a slight postponement where the births would be made up for after things get better, then it wouldn't really be very meaningful. It'd just be a little notch. But if... They don't get made up for, then we're going to have a long lasting hole in the population that COVID put in there.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the difficulties. There seems to be a lack of time to recover. And, and, uh, you know, uh, these recoveries, everybody says, oh, well, everybody will bounce back. They don't always bounce back the same way.
3: Well, exactly. Think about it. If you're a woman who's uh, 38 years old and you realize the clock is ticking, you were ready to have a baby, and now there's going to be at least a year when you won't, you may still try afterward, but you may run out of luck. Uh, if you're a younger woman, if you're 30 or something, and you haven't started having children, you sort of had in mind you were going to have three, maybe, you may not squeeze in three. You may only have two now. Yeah. That's the evidence. This is not just me talking as a man. I'm, you know... Uh, <laughs> one step removed from this. But yeah, that's what the evidence shows.
0: There was a, a survey you, you quoted in the article as well that surveyed 2,000 American women in late April, early May. And, yeah. they, and they found that 34% of them wanted to delay pregnancy or have fewer kids because of the pandemic. You know, it's just kind of the uncertainty of the whole thing. Uh, you know, a vaccine isn't going to come mm-hmm. till early next year, most likely. There's still months. And, you know, a lot of people do take the time to plan a pregnancy and all that. And it just kind of throws all that out of the window. Peter, tell us some of the early indicators that we're seeing, because there was a bunch of different things in here. The weddings were slowing down, people getting birth control and stacking that up was going up as well.
3: Yeah, like the wedding reports, a company I talked to, said that surveys show slightly over 60% of weddings that were scheduled for 2020 been postponed until either later this year or 2021. I talked to a company called the Pill Club, which uh, founded a 65% increase as of last month in new patient requests for uh, Anovera, which is a vaginal ring that prevents pregnancy for up to a year, so long-lasting birth control. actually even talked to a woman from Planned Parenthood who said she's getting more women coming to her who had pregnancies that they wanted to terminate. So it's pretty darn serious.
0: And the results of all of this, obviously, less babies, uh, babies are cute, all that stuff. But you have to think of the long-term effects of it. Fewer children means fewer consumers in the future, fewer workers, less taxpayers, and then the effect on our older Americans. You know, uh, Social Security gets thrown out of the whack when people aren't contributing. So it's kind of this big old thing that's all tied together. And uh, you know, I like the way you put it in the article, too. The flip side of it, people say, well could be bad on that front, but it could also be good for the planet because there's less Mm -hmm. people causing pollution.
3: Exactly. For example, there was a study out of Sweden a few years ago. uh, It was published in Environmental Research Letters. They found that if you're thinking about how to save the planet, you know, you can decide you're not going to fly, you're going to get an electric car, seal your windows so they don't leak heat in the winter. But the single best thing you can do to save the planet is to have fewer children. Because children consume resources.
0: (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, is there any good news on this front? I mean, the numbers are what they are now. The early predictors were starting to see them. The birth rate has been going down for a while. And as we said, it's tough to make up that time. And, uh, you you know, a lot of people don't just step it up and start having a ton of babies right away. So is there any good news on the horizon with all this?
3: Well, call it good or bad, but because, again, different people have different attitudes about this, but the one idea that the birth rate might trend back upward is that when you survey women about how many babies they want to have, it turns out they have been having fewer than their target number. So if women start achieving what they want, then you would see the birth rate rise again. Another indicator is that when we see the total fertility rate low, it could be that what's really happening is that women in their 20s aren't having babies now, but they will have them later. There could be like a societal change where this cohort of women just prefers to delay childbirth not to have your children. We wouldn't know that because who knows what they're gonna do, but if that indeed is the case, And we would see the completed fertility rate 25 years from now being higher than the current indications.
0: Peter Coy, economics editor at Bloomberg Business Week. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for this weekend. Be sure to check out the Daily Dive every Monday through Friday. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment. Give us a rating and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow the Daily Dive and iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of the Daily Dive has been engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive Weekend Edition.